0: ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arseneau, and today's episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. Over the last weekend, which was July 22nd to the 26th, was this year's Comic-Con. And due to the coronavirus, it meant that they could not hold the giant convention in San Diego in Hall H, I believe it's called, that they normally do. So they pivoted and decided to do an online version called Comic-Con at Home, where almost everything was on YouTube for people to access for free, which was brand new for people that are fans of all things geek. And to discuss this year's Comic-Con and the fact that we kind of by vicariously get to go to it uh i've got sammy Felsenfeld joining me again sammy thank you so much
1: my pleasure back again to talk about nonsense
0: <laughs> yeah this is this is now more in your your wheelhouse i guess than uh from the last time you were on wasn't it
1: Yeah, I had to do less research, I will say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you normally are pretty on top of your uh, geek-centric news, so I imagine even when Comic-Con is not free for us to view, you are probably kind of keeping tabs on the the bigger news stories that were coming out and the things that were debuting. Would you say that's accurate?
1: I would say so. I, it, it's, it, to be honest, a place I never actually want to go, um, just because it's it tends to be so crowded. Um, even before I was afraid of crowds, thanks to the coronavirus. Um, but uh, but it is, yeah, it's a lot of it's it's up until a few years ago it was like the main place for this for genre news.
0: It basically sort of like you know it's been going on forever. I can't remember when it started. I think it's like 25 years now. It was just this super niche thing, and then about 10 years ago the studios realized that, you know, the geeks kind of controlled the internet as far as what would get good word of mouth, what you can get people hyped up for, even as far as a year to two years in advance. And studios kind of went all in on harnessing those crowds. And then for about five to seven years or so, it was the place if you wanted to get any sort of news. And I feel like it's maybe losing its influence a little bit only because every company is also doing their own con now, which is something we're going to talk about a little bit later. So it's sort of interesting to see the evolution of of how Comic-Con grew to be this behemoth. And now it's maybe a bit too big for its own size.
1: And I think there's also a lot about how I was just looking. It's actually 50 years, um, 50 years ago this year, that was the first golden state comic book convention, which became Comic-Con. But uh, not only the that studios are doing their own, but it's also that Comic-Con has always been um, blurring the lines of, yes, it's about comics, but it's also about creators and, and artists and people building connections and now cosplay and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's not even just that there's there's other things going on. It's just become it's become it too big. And I think it became too big to be online. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So yeah, let's let's sort of talk about this. As I mentioned off the top, they pivoted and allowed people to view the panels online. The difference is normally you've got these giant conference rooms where you get these you know casts of movies, TV shows, creators to have these sort of discussions, and then a big component of that is the Q and A session that follows almost every single one of these panels. And it's a great place for people to actually interact and get to meet the people that they admire. And at the same time, it's a great way for all these companies, creators to kind of get instant feedback as well, because almost always it's positive, even when, you know, six months later, when we actually see whatever the product is, it might suck, it might be great, whatever. But usually for the most part, the reception is always good, which builds confidence. And they decided to pre-record everything it's basically what we've you know we've i feel like it it wasn't even fresh because ever since the coronavirus hit you know you got people like josh gad who's been doing his his reunited series uh and then i've also seen different table reads and things like that so what they were doing wasn't even that fresh and the fact that they completely removed the fan interaction aspect of it where they'd even be like hey, Twitter, we're recording a panel, uh, send us your questions. They didn't even do that, which was such a shock, and it really suffered in the way that the content was viewed by the audience.
1: Yeah, I think it was, I think what they were going for in terms of pre-recording and sort of, they they wanted to eliminate tech, tech issues, because we've now all experienced our fair share of joining a Zoom call, whether it's with friends or watching one, even on TV, where the newscaster's trying to Zoom with somebody, it's just not working out. So, I appreciate what they were going for, but also things tend to change pretty quickly. I, I think a um, a big piece of that would be uh, the Star Trek panel didn't talk about the release date for Discovery. And then like a day or two later, CBS said, hey, Discovery, uh, the next season, Discovery comes out in, in uh, October, I think it is, um, or starts in October. And it's just sort of like, well, why bother with this panel where you're trying to say, oh, it's the the main point to talk about all of these, these genre things in the Star Trek world. Um, yeah, I think they missed the boat. I think I think they were caught off guard, to be honest. They can't. San Diego Comic Con was one of the last big things to cancel um, because it was it's late July. Back in March, nobody thought that that we would still be doing this sort of stuff, um, and I think that they just were unprepared.
0: It's it's also interesting because I look at the quality of the panels that they ended up putting together, and for the most part, I was left pretty disappointed. You know, you I, I think back to like the the Avengers reveal where they brought out like 25 of like the biggest A-lister of A-lister talent just one after another and they're all there. And while there were a couple, you know, slightly bigger names, if you want to talk about like Keanu Reeves who did two panels and Charlize Theron did one, uh, but that was kind of the it as far as like super big marquee celebrities you mentioned Star Trek. They did a panel, which is was kind of cool, but that was uh, a script read for the most part. So it wasn't even really the the sort of things that we're used to from these really big celebrities, quote unquote. Uh, do you think that maybe hindered the way Comic-Con is being received?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I shared uh, an article with you that the YouTube panels were getting 15,000 views when they first went up. Um, I'm sure a lot of them had picked up afterwards, but they just didn't have the appeal. And the, the fact is like you mentioned hall H hall H is where the, the Marvel panel goes, the Warner brothers panels go the, um the the next big Christopher Nolan sci-fi movie will go there. Like all the big, the big stuff I'm sure Dune would have had a presence this year if it was in person um, or part of a WB piece, but there are still tons of other halls, tons of smaller rooms. I've seen accounts online of people saying I go to comic-con and never go near the biggest panels because you hear all that news anyway, but if you want to hear a creator you love say something really wacky or talk about an experience, um, that's not going to be recorded. There's no, not going to be a journalist in the room talking about this This really obscure comic writer um, talking about this experience. And I think they just couldn't generate much buzz um, with the people even that they did have because it's also, no everybody kind of knew Comic-Con at home wasn't going to be a place for all these incredible announcements of things no one's heard of. That's just been happening on Twitter or in people's own, in in companies' own spheres.
0: I think also maybe something ha- that has to play with it is the fact that we don't know really the release dates for anything. You know, we've got from this year alone. At this point, we should have had you know the new James Bond, the new Wonder Woman, the new Fast and the Furious, and uh, the new Christopher Nolan. All this sort of stuff should have already been in theaters by now. And instead, it's being pushed back. Either you know, like. Uh, Tenet, where it seems like every week it's got a new release date, um, and a few other movies where they're like, yeah, it's going to be in the fall, it's going to be in the winter, but they've also straight up pushed movies back until 2021. We Right from the get-go, Fast and the Furious uh, pushed them way back then, and I know Wonder Woman doesn't have a release date, but it'd be crazy to think that it's not going to come out until next year as well, and so you're looking at that and next year's release calendar is basically already booked up. And I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe start pushing back other things as well to the year after. And you're getting to the point where are they going to hold a panel for something that they literally have no idea when they could release it because their entire schedule has now been pushed back and there's no room for anything because otherwise you're stepping on star Wars toes and stepping on Marvel's toes and stepping on Disney's toes. Like,
1: and, and and it's funny because Hollywood hasn't stopped their, their wheeling and dealing. There's been tons of announcements of movies and TV shows all over the last few months saying, oh, so-and-so is working on this project. Oh, but don't expect it until 2022. Well, obviously, no one's filming anything right now, at least in the US. I know it's picking, it's starting to pick up in Canada and other parts of the world it's going to start picking up. But new projects are sort of just being handed out as a means to say, we're still going to have stuff. But it's like you said, I think the majority of the rest of this year's films with the exception of some tent poles and some smaller stuff that is finished it's just going to become part of next year's and it's going to be a race to sort of fill the time but it's also going to be guaranteeing people go to movie theaters which it's going to take a while before that confidence is really built up um so i think that that's that's its own issue that yeah no one's there's nothing really to talk about at these panels
0: necessarily you mentioned theaters opening up we're here in toronto and by the time this episode comes out we'll just have entered phase three of the coronavirus plan, which means that theaters are opening back up. I have no interest of going to a theater right now, even though tenants about to come out as much as I want to see that on a on a big screen. Uh, and the rest of, you know, rural Ontario is already at this point, but like What's going to happen? How long is this really going to take? What happens if you know, they start opening up theaters and realizing that they're a hot spot? Like I have no idea really what this is end' going to end up looking like,
1: yeah, and I think that that's sort of the like I mean, it's the Oscar question. I'm sure you and I are going to have a podcast later this year to talk about it. but is there enough are there enough films that came out even around the world this year for there to be an Oscars this year? because um, I know that a lot of film I know they this year they're allowing films that have been streaming, so that's great. but it's still, is there enough for the Academy to choose things that they like? Um, uh, this is a whole other conversation, but I think at the end of the day, it comes down to this is a time of year. It's very similar video games every year in June for E3. It's the same kind of thing. They didn't do E3 this year, so all the companies are doing their own thing, and there's less news to share, but they're trying to find ways to still share things when when they can. I mean, I'm saying that with two new consoles coming out in, in theory in November, but um, it's the same thing. It's no one's going to go up. Marvel's not going to go up and say, hey, everyone, you know, phase four is taking a little while. Um, so here's a sneak peek at this TV show that's not finished. They don't want to do that. They already have, they've already done what, they, what they've what needed to do, which I think is what's really interesting about Warner Brothers in DC doing their own event in August.
0: Yeah, uh, I I do briefly want to say, speaking of the Oscars, I have a an idea in my head where, What I would like to see happen is I don't think they should straight-up cancel this year's Oscars, which usually happen in February. What I think they should do is push it back to about March or April and then just extend the eligibility window. So if things are, are better, you can have these sort of prestige movies that normally come out between September and December come out between December and March and then be eligible for the Oscars and then slowly... Uh, try to get the calendar back on track over the next year or two. That's my own pet theory that I'd love to see happen because I think, I think if they cancel the Oscars this year, anything that comes out this year, if they're still eligible for the next Oscars, no one's going to remember that. Like you look at the, you know, the the front runners right now is of movies that are out something like the five bloods or, uh, the David Fincher movie mank that's coming out, uh, in October. Are they really going to consider those a year and a half from now? I, I don't think so. So I have no idea what's going to happen with the Oscars in that regard.
1: I'm firmly of the belief that they are going to roll over into a second year and that Sonic the Hedgehog has lost its chance to win best picture <laughs> being a film released in 2020. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think that they're, they're going to just roll over the, um, like extend this year's eligibility and then actually shorten the next year's eligibility. But depending on what can be made in time, like there's, there's going to be a lot of interesting things done to make film quickly. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, But yeah, let's get back on track. You were, you're talking about what DC was doing. I think you have a better idea of this, but yeah, justice league was briefly brought up at comic con this year, but they did not have a panel. They were doing their own thing that was happening. So uh, can you fill me in on that a bit?
1: Yeah. So Well before, like very early on, Warner Brothers basically said, you know, we're going to do our own, um, we're going to do our own event called DC FanDome. There's, that's August 22nd, the digital free event, probably also likely pre-recorded pieces, but it's going to be everything in the DC sphere. So DC Universe, their own series, HBO Max series, the comic books, the crossovers, and of course the movies. And most importantly of that is Zack Snyder's recut of his footage from from, uh, Justice League. But what's really interesting about his work, what he shared, uh, Zach Snyder shared over Comic-Con, it was not a Comic-Con panel. It was something else that just took place at the same time as Comic-Con. So it just got wrapped up in the news of Comic-Con. And it looked like also a pre-recorded webinar, uh, or webinar um, pre-recorded Zoom call that was then loaded at a certain time. And it was just sort of him talking about his experiences and, and mainly sharing a tiny, tiny clip of, the long-fabled black suit that Superman wears. Uh, all I'm basically going to say is whenever Justice League, his version of Justice League comes out, it's going to be unrecognizable from the one that uh, I made you see in theaters. <laughs> yeah, you um, but but uh, the biggest thing about fandom, and this is what other companies are, are going to, it's, it's sort of like what Disney does with d 23 except um, D23 is an in-person event and there's all these other components to it. And they, they did, Marvel last year had some announcements at Comic Con and some announcements at, um, at, uh, D23. Whereas I think WB and a few other companies are probably going to take this approach and just say, oh, tune in from 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. on uh, such and such day for, for some, for some great stuff about our properties. Um, which could, could, but not necessarily will, but could, um, spell a bit of a death knell for Comic Con.
0: Yeah, that's going to be curious to see. Speaking of the Snyder cut, I'm really not looking forward to this. This was a bad movie, not because Snyder left the project due to unfortunate circumstances and it was a bad edit. No, this was a bad movie because it had a terrible script, terrible villains, and they rushed through the character development. Having a a two plus hour movie be extended to four hours is not going to magically make this on par with basically anything that the MCU has released.
1: Well, consider yourself losing a bunch of subscribers who are probably super fan. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I I think it's uh, it'll be really interesting because it. What I will say about it is it's a project that can be done in quarantine, maybe not necessarily quickly, but the visual effects, the re-editing, all those pieces could technically be done in people's work from home setups if they have those kinds of setups. So I think we're going to see a see and hear a lot about it. Um, apparently, there's hours and hours and hours of pretty pretty much edited and like properly. Um, properly kind of color balance and stuff, footage that was just completely cut. Some of it was deleted, some of it wasn't. So it's just one of those projects that there's, because this is already a four-year-old movie, three-year-old movie, there's so much out there that it's going to just consume the news cycle. But I will hold my judgment on seeing it um, and I will not force you to watch it with me this time
0: that's fair speaking of another sort of superhero movie we've got the new mutants which apparently may or may not actually exist this is a movie that was supposed to come out in 2018 and they still keep shelving it and now it is going to get like a dual VOD and theater release later this summer early fall like this ship has sailed on this movie
1: do you know what mutants are Would anyone like to share their first time? Rain? I was 13. I thought it was a dream. I just lost control. Sam?
0: I started panicking. People got hurt. Roberto? My girlfriend had burned her.
1: Ileana? I
0: killed 18 men. One by one.
1: Oh yeah, all these characters are supposed to be like young adults, like teeny kind of things. They're all adults now, they're full on adults. Um I think it's it's now become the um it's now just sort of become the the vaporware of film and the joke is sort of like, oh, it's going to be 2029 and they're announcing the uh that they're moving the new mutants. But it does remind me of there's quite a few films every so often that just pop up out of nowhere and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I haven't heard of this. Oh, it was filmed seven years ago and shelved, and they finally decided to, to release it. And I didn't realize it's that common um, but this really is a casualty of the Disney purchase of, of Fox and I think Disney is still required to eventually have people see it, not necessarily release it fully, um, which they seem to be trying to do but it is quite fascinating. the a film that never seems to want to get an actual date. Um, it's pretty remarkable that it keeps Getting pushed back and dated at all. I think at one point it was pulled from the schedule um, for almost six months before there was anything, any announcement about when when it would come out. Um, I have no interest in it because I don't like scary movies, which I've talked about before. And this is this is just supposed to be uh, a horror horror mutant movie first kind of thing. Um, but it it is nice that they still were like, hey, it does exist, and here's some footage of it you haven't seen yet. <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of movies that, you know, kind of get shelved for a bit, usually what happens is it's kind of a bad movie and then uh, they can't find a buyer for it. And then two, three years later, the star of the movie, who is an unknown at the time, has become pretty big. And so it's easy to sell the movie. It's like, I remember Red Dawn, the remake of that. That was a, a popular one where it was filmed, and then it was like two or three years later, it finally came out because Chris Hemsworth was a star, and at the time, he wasn't. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Chris Hemsworth that was the lead in that. Um, and this sort of seems to be the same... I feel like it's the same sort of deal. Like You look back, and it was mostly a cast of unknowns, but now Anya Taylor-Joy is a pretty buzzy actress after, after being in Emma this year and, and hitting it big with the witch a couple years ago and Maisie Williams from game of Thrones and uh, Charlie Heaton, I believe is his name, who is in stranger things like suddenly this cast seems a lot more interesting than it probably did uh, three years ago when it was first filmed.
1: <laughs> so it makes sense. And I think, I think the, the most complicated thing about it is that it's I think the reason why Disney wants to try to get into theaters is that it's not a film for Disney plus. And I think that they they kind of want it like they're not ready for it to just be dropped on who type of thing either. it's a, It's a weird piece. I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Feige and the Marvel team also, because now that they they essentially own the the mutant brand again, um might also be trying to say, like, just get it out in theaters. Um, it's still a Marvel movie, <laughs> even if it doesn't look like one. Um, so I think it's just it's interesting that they gave it the time, but at the same time, like, yeah, this is what Comic-Con is. We're going to talk about this vaporware movie that may never come out.
0: (laughs) And also, like since Black Widow got pushed back indefinitely, it's basically going to be the only quote-unquote superhero comic book movie this year.
1: As long as Wonder Woman doesn't get released, which I really hope it does too. I,
0: I think they're going to definitely hold that back until theaters are for sure open. Like, Tenet is going to be the canary in the coal mine, which is sort of unfortunate because... You know, I, I say that and I don't think Tenet will hurt if no one goes to the theaters because they can always pull it and re-release it later I'll be fine. If a lesser known director, property, whatever, if they tried to, to, to do what tenant is doing and it bombed because no one was going out to theaters, they would have sort of been stuck with a you know, a three hundred million dollar dud on their hand. Whereas tenant they'll be like, I know you suckers are gonna come out one point or another, so we'll just hold it. And, and that's
1: the biggest thing is that Nolan could never have asked for the level of publicity that Tenet is getting. It is in the news cycle every single week without fail. So last week or two weeks ago it was pulled indefinitely and then it's already given a new date. But that new date only in the rest of the world and not the U.S. And then something will likely change again. So people, people who probably would have never had an interest in that movie will know it and might see it two or three years from now when it's re-released in theaters for a proper wide release. And be like, oh, yeah, this was that pandemic movie they kept pushing. Um, so I think there's that. And I think it's, it's funny because they don't really need to do much else for it now. They just keep talking about it in the news.
0: Yeah, it really is the the best free marketing that they could have ever hoped for. Uh, let's talk about something that you probably have a, a bit to say about. And, and that's all the Star Trek news that came
1: out. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the camp that I'm super excited for Lower Decks. There are Trek fans who are definitely not. But I have always wanted... Um, Star Trek to be a bit funnier, and it actually shines when it when they're they're trying to be humorous. I've I've always thought that. Um, I really enjoyed Picard. Again, a group of Star Trek fans who are who are wouldn't agree with that. Um, Picard was pretty close to starting production up during before the pandemic, so they're pretty delayed. Um, but like I said, Discovery is, Discovery season three is already finished and that's premiering in the fall, but Lower Decks was the big thing. It's a gamble for the Star Trek brand. It's the first animated series in decades. It is a straight up comedy, but it's still very much canon. So it's still within the universe. Um, so I just appreciated that we got like a little bit more snippets of it. It comes out in the States in like a week or two. It's going to be a bit longer in Canada. Um, but, uh, I I'm excited for it. I think it's just now that, um, so CBS and Viacom re again, which means for the first time in, I think, in 15 years, the film series and the TV series can now be managed by the same production group. Um, it was a very weird licensing thing. So there's there's hope that, that now that CBS All Access is doing all these series, it's the new Enterprise series that they're working on in Strange New Worlds and all these things. So we're getting these these looks into this stuff. Um, and they've... They've been sort of a mainstay of Comic-Con, uh, not necessarily Hall H until more recently, if I remember correctly, but they've been a mainstay of Comic-Con for a long time. And it was the first time we ever saw what the Discovery looked like and the first time we met the, the cast of that show and all these different things. Um, so I think that they're, they felt that Lower Decks was kind of low stakes enough, which it, to be honest, it kind of is, um, that they could still do something at Comic-Con. And I'm, I'm jazzed about it yeah I watched
0: the opening scene that they showed and it's hilarious. it's sort of the the premise of it actually kind of reminds me a little bit of the vein of Futurama in the sense of it's, oh yeah, very yeah where they're gonna like really lean hardcore into the the geekdom where it might not be for everyone, but this definitely seems like it's probably gonna be a more. I don't want to say family friendly, kid friendly type of show because it, I don't think it will be fully that, but more so than than Futurama, which could be a little bit more edgy at times. But I watched that that opening clip and it was pretty funny and I like the voice cast that they have assembled for it. So it's really interesting. And the idea of pissing off uh, Trekkers is, uh, or should I say Trekkies if I really want to piss them off, uh, is something that <laughs> like uh, I'm all for.
1: Oh, yeah we're very ripe for the taking. Don't worry. Um, It's um, it is funny because the, one of the things I did, did hear about through all this was that the creator of the show explicitly said, I will not make this show. Like, I don't want to make this show for you unless it's canon. Like it has to be in the universe. It's set shortly after the last film that had um, the Picard crew in it, which was called Nemesis, which if you really want to piss off truck fans, tell them Nemesis was the best movie, which it's not. Um, But yeah, so I think it's, it's a, it's going to be, it just it it has its place and speaking of whether it's kid-friendly star trek there's also star trek prodigy that's coming on nickelodeon and that's specifically a trek series for kids which is a lot more in line with the old um uh the animated series which was way way back after the original series got cancelled they did i think it was only one season of the animated series for star trek which was also a bit more kid kid oriented um which really star trek is for families, it's not just for for adults um, I'm also just going to piss off more people with that now too. So, um, why don't we move away from Star Trek before we have people sending us emails?
0: Headline, Sammy Felcherfeld says Star Trek is a kid show.
1: <laughs> just wait till you hear what I have to say about Doctor Who.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ooh, that'd
0: be a fun group. Uh, yep.
1: <laughs> I haven't
0: gotten any hate mail yet for this show, but, uh, I've, I have a feeling that they'd probably be the first ones to send me something. <laughs> um (laughs) if you wait uh probably like i said earlier that the probably the biggest celebrity involved was keanu reeves and they did a bill and ted uh little thing and they premiered a new trailer for it and as someone that didn't grow up watching the bill and ted movies i pretty much have almost no interest in this new one and i watched the trailer just before recording this and i was like uh, okay. Like, I like Keanu Reeves (laughs) enough as an actor. I think if he has the right role and the right director and the tone is right, he's someone that could be very polarizing. I know right now he's kind of in a bit of a renaissance where everyone loves everything he does. But for the most part, he's still not the greatest actor, but he still is a very good actor in the right situation. And watching this trailer, I look like he couldn't care less about being in this. When your wife suggested couples therapy, do you think This is what they had in mind. Definitely. I mean, we're a couple of couples, right? Bill, Ted, enough of the delusions. You didn't time travel. And you didn't go
1: to heaven and hell. Here's a real idea for you. Be role models to your daughters. Get real jobs. Uh, But that's his character. I I also didn't grow up with the movies. I, I enjoyed them, and that's it. And it's the same thing. I'm not super jazzed about it. Um, but what's funny is that this is another example of vaporware. They've been trying to make this for like 15 years or more. Um, and I think it was just kind of, okay, the time finally came. It's almost like the independence day sequel that, that we all forget existed, which I actually thought was very entertaining if, if terrible. Um, but it's one of the things that somebody had an idea and that person had money and they kept trying to make it happen until it did. Um, and that's all I'll say about that movie
0: yeah there there really isn't much to say i know I know people are especially the internet are very jazzed about this and excited about it because I feel like the hype machine's been going overload for almost a year now where every you know onset picture that got released and teaser poster that came out and all this sort of stuff and because I didn't grow up with it i just i i don't really care um yeah so i I guess I don't really have anything else to say about it as well. Uh I didn't get a chance to see it. I really wanted to, but Charlize Theron hosted a panel where she kind of talked about her revolution of her career and talked about how she's basically become one of the best action stars in in the last decade and you know I'm all for that because her movies have been really solid. I watched The Old Guard the new Netflix movie uh, about a week ago. It's okay. It's, it's fairly solid. The plot's so-so, but Charlize Theron, once again, turns in a fantastic performance in some great action sequences, and she's been doing this for, for a while now between you know, Mad Max, Fury Road, and Atomic Blonde, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some, some other action-y things that she's done, but she's kind of made a nice little career niche sort of in the way Liam Neeson reinvented himself as well as a late career action star for a while.
1: Oh yeah, I think that she's, um, don't call Charlize there in late, late career, how dare no, you? <laughs> I, I know, they're, they're completely just, different things. <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. But yeah, it's true. she's She sort of had her, she has had multiple careers. because She did have sort of the mid-2000s version of her. Um, she was in Monster, she was in the Italian job. My One of my favorite roles of hers was in Arrested Development. Mr. F. <laughs> as Rita. Um, and, but that's like 15 plus years ago. And you're right. She sort of just come back around and, and she was in the fate of the furious, which I have not seen, but I'm sure she was amazing despite her ridiculous character. Um, and I actually really like the old guard. Um, I thought it was, the music was ridiculous, but I thought the rest of it was quite good. Um, and for an action movie, it was a little bit more kind of, there was a bit more um, emotion than I would have expected, which I also appreciate. Um, but she she really was a lynchpin and I think that that she's very aware of her role in that and that she also sees herself hopefully being kind of in this role for a a long time being able to kind of fill in those action-y pieces and also it just looks like being in an action movie is so much fun compared to some other things that people make
0: Mm -hmm. yeah because we've sort of been subject to seeing older men still doing the action movies when they clearly are sort of hobbling along I'm thinking you know the last couple action movies that Liam Neeson made before he was like, oh, I should probably give this up, but we've been doing this for years. Like you look at some of the bond movies when Connery was older and, and Roger Moore and all that sort of stuff. And there's never really been this place for women because, you know, we're, we're lucky to get one female centric action movie a year sort of thing. If that, and, they were never really good and they never really did that well at the box office. And then Charlize Theron has kind of come in and filled this niche of being what's typically been sort of typecast action females, whether it's like the Michelle Rodriguez or, or people, people like that, where she brings this acting pedigree where she's got the Oscar and she can still do the serious stuff and she can do the funny stuff as well, but then also do this really great action and stuff. I, I, I read a bit of a review of her panel and she talked about being on the Italian job set, uh, which is a movie I'm only so-so on. The original, I, I do enjoy a bit more. And she talked about how she had to do an extra, I think it was like four five weeks of stunt driving training compared to our male co-stars. And she kind of took that on as a challenge of, well, then if I'm going to do this extra training, I'm going to make sure I'm better than everyone else. And she recalled a story where she did a, a stunt and Mark Wahlberg also had to do a stunt and he got out of the car and started puking and she one-upped him and did the stunt even better. And it was looked better on film and everything like that. And she sort of maintained this presence of, I'm going to do what any of the guys can do, but I'm going to do it better.
1: Yeah. And I think that there just needs to be more of that. Um, I think that she, she's, to be honest, when I'm looking at her, her Wikipedia film list, she's been doing action films kind of from the, the beginning of her career too. Like she was in Ann Flux, horrible, very entertaining. Um, and she was also in Hancock, additionally, not great, but very, very entertaining. Um, and those are, those are very heavy action roles, it, it turns out. Um, so I think that she's kind of had that, that in her all along and, I, and yeah, just like you said, it's probably, it, whether it was started at the Italian job being early, early in her career or whether she was just like, no, this looks like, this looks like fun. I'm going to do this. I want to do this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. She isn't one for being typecast, which is really nice.
1: Now let's talk about Snow White and the Huntsman. I'm just kidding. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of, <laughs> speaking of being typecast for her, that's just a role that she seemed to eat every piece of scenery. We can move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I'll briefly talk about it. I watched a, a really interesting panel called Horror is Queer it uh, it featured some some really big name in the horror community that are also queer creators in, including uh, Brian Fuller who is the creator of the Hannibal TV show and um, I think his name is Brian Mancini who is the creator of the Chucky comic book and is a producer on all the, the Chucky movies and then there was uh, Lachlan Watson, who uh, she's on The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and they had a, a podcast host there. I can't remember what the name of that show was, but it was just very interesting sort of talking about the history of uh, queer identities in horror cinema as a way that they were, queer people were originally portrayed as the villains just because they were queer and how they've sort of grown to uh, reclaim that title and what it means to be in, involved in this sort of uh, horror science fiction world and, and what sort of space they are wanting to occupy and how to make stories for themselves. And so it was just really interesting hearing all these really smart, intelligent people talk about their experiences and, and, and it be such a, a positive atmosphere for them. And it, and it is nice seeing more uh, queer stories being told in that medium as
1: well. Sounds neat. The <laughs> horror stuff's not for me, as I've already said. Um, but there are kind of tangents of it that I'm, I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
0: I also watched the the What We Do in the Shadows panel because that's one of my favorite TV shows. And it was hilarious. Uh, one of the actors, K. Van Novak, who plays Nandor, kept technical difficulties so he kept dropping out of the call uh but he made up for it with a with a great one-liner when he held up his cat to his screen saying i, I turned myself into a cat with his uh nandor voice which i loved i've turned myself into a cat
1: uh, <laughs> do you watch that show Perfect. um don't hate me but no but i i do know a lot about it and it's, it's definitely on my list that's gonna be keep growing until the end of time it, it it's, it's.
0: I love it. I love the original movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And then I was hesitant to start the TV show, and I fell so in love with it. They did a great job of sort of keeping the same elements from the movie while also making it wholly unique in their own. And they shoot it in Toronto. So a good section of. Of the, the Q&A that they had with the moderator, which was um, Haley Joel Osment, who guest starred on this past season in two episodes. They talked about shooting in Toronto, and because all the scenes take place at night, they, for some reason, decide to film it over fall and winter. So it's all these people complaining about being in Toronto shooting overnight.
1: Which is a nightmare. I will add that Star Trek Discovery also films in the winter in Toronto. Um, but because it's mostly indoor scenes, it's a little better, except that all the all the stars on Instagram just keep posting about, oh, it's so cold. It's so early, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you're in Toronto. What do you think you're going to get? Yeah.
0: Sorry, we give out the most tax credits. That's why your company's shooting up here. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was there any other news or, or panels or things that you checked out that uh, sort of caught your eye? Honestly, not
1: really. Um, like I, I was... Like, unlike a normal year, I was sort of checked out of, of Comic Con a bit more just because I knew to not expect anything big. Marvel's not making any announcements for a year or more, like, until they can get Black Widow out the door and, and their their um, Disney Plus shows and stuff. DC's not going to have, I don't think DC's going to announce more than maybe a new movie, potentially like Aquaman 2 and Shazam 2 details, which we already know are coming, and that's, that's later. It's just, a, it's just been a weird time. Like, if, if a company has a really exciting thing to announce, they're just going to do it themselves. And I think that it's sort of like they, they can have a bit tighter control over how it's done. Um, I've been a lot more interested too in those kind of reunion type things. I watched the Scott Pilgrim um, uh, live read thing, which was incredible, which is not something that really would go at, at Comic-Con. Although if it was in person, maybe it would have. Um, so yeah, nothing really stuck out to me. I mean, you shared a list with me and um, the right stuff I'm really excited for. I know it's finished. I just want them to release it so I can watch it. Um, but that's a, that's a pretty niche like it, yes, it's a, it's a space show, but it's a pretty niche kind of thing. Like, Not a lot of people are maybe that as interested in it because there's been so much about NASA's early years that it's sort of like, okay, well, do we keep talking about the same topic? Every inch of the world has been picked over. This is my chance
0: to be the first at something memorable. These guys all had their own specific kinds of adversity. Regular hours, home and time to see the kids. That's a desk job. I belong in space.
1: I want to be the female Charles Lindbergh.
0: But ultimately, all of them achieved their own version of success. Yeah, I'm really excited for The Right Stuff, too. But you're right. It's it's based on a, a movie that came out 30-plus years ago. Uh, I'm actually currently reading a book that sort of charts the entire history of the NASA space program and so they spend a lot of time on the Mercury 7 flight and it seems like every season is going to be based on a different mission so the Mercury 7 is probably going to be the whole first season and then afterwards I think they call themselves like the Mercury 11 and then they change to the Apollo missions and all this sort of stuff so it's going to be interesting to sort of see where they go but yeah, focusing on these early NASA stuff is going to be curious considering I, I guess it's good that people don't know much, as much about it so it's going to fill people in on some blind spots but you think if you're going to do a space TV show the Apollo missions would, would be where you would want to start because that's where more of the interest sort of laid and especially since most of these early space missions they're not going to the moon They're not. they're basically just doing an orbit around the Earth once and then coming back down for the first several flights that they were doing it And it's more about the geopolitics with the Soviet Union. So I'm I'm really curious to see how they're going to do this, how in depth they're going to get, how serious is it going to be? Because I know based on the trailer that I've seen and the cast that they have, I can see them sort of playing up the uh, sarcastic comedy aspect of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it can go in multiple ways and I'm not like I'm I'm not dissing it like it's something I'm looking forward to it's something that wouldn't really fit the Disney Plus profile if National Geographic wasn't the company making the show um but it's also just like yeah there's 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 a lot more frontiers of science fiction outside of like our own science history um that I don't know I think it's just it's going to be a while before we're hearing some really interesting new stuff I think that's what I'm trying to say
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's fair uh you (laughs) talked about you know Other companies, especially Disney, doing their own thing, and the fact that now Disney owns just about everything between Star Wars and Marvel and, I am forget, the Fox stuff now, basically everything is under the Disney banner. I wouldn't be surprised if if D23 becomes the the preeminent convention going forward, especially with the way that Comic-Con sort of stumbled this year.
1: Oh yeah, I, I can see that happening. I can see Fandom being a renewing thing at Warner Brothers. I don't know what movies Universal has coming up, but I'm sure they have stuff to talk about too. I think, yeah, it's just going to become, people are going to sort of choose comic cons as, as they are not going away. There's a room for, for the, the place to buy mer- people to buy merch and um, for people to meet creators they like and actual comic and like writing components of it too. It's just more of this this big kind of like, it's almost like upfront, but for film um is just going to find his new home somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I think uh we sort of covered all the big news and what we thought about it. Do you have any any final thoughts about uh the weekend?
1: Um, honestly no. I to be honest is a little bit of a letdown overall. I think we we have no shortage of of uh content to consume of people on Zoom calls, so that's not going to go away. Um, but I, I still keep an eye on all the blogs to see if there's some little exciting tidbit that comes out This is something not comic-con related. I'm just really excited about it. is they making a live-action magic school bus movie mm. Which maybe we'll see at comic-con in a couple of years when it's finally ready to, to be talked about I would consider a it genre. It's mostly science fiction and a lot of magic um, But yeah, I think it was just not it was not the comic-con I know and I think it may never be again.
0: Yes, I've, I think you're right. Uh, So, yeah, I think that sort of wraps up our Comic-Con at-home review discussion sort of thing. Uh, Sammy, thank you so much for, for
1: joining me. My pleasure as always.
0: ContraZoom is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. I'd like to thank Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod what did you think of comic-con did you have any favorite panels are we completely wrong about everything send me an email contrazoompod at gmail.com and i will feature it on a future episode it would also be a great help if you could rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts as that will help us grow and find new listeners